0: Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast, particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know, someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up, reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school, like I am, drop me an email detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and take care. Pleasant experience of meeting David Schultz last fall at Swing Set Takes Desire, which, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you've heard about a few times, uh, not least because I had recorded an episode down there. I don't know what drew me to Dave, or what drew us to one another, but a friendship quickly developed, and uh, it's been over social media for most of the past year until fairly recently, uh, and I'll talk to you all about that particular experience in the outro. Uh, anyway, uh while we were in Mexico, uh, David and his awesome partner Laura told me about Polycamp Northeast, an event they put together that brings together polyamorous and similarly identified folks from all over the country for a long weekend of fun activities, workshops, and community building. Uh David talks about the impetus for Polycamp during our conversation and we also go deeper into some of the activities that can be had there. Uh David also shares the experiences that led him to pursue non-traditional relationship structures, such as polyamory slash ethical non-monogamy. We also discussed David's upbringing in Maine, which, as I can personally attest to, is not exactly a hotbed of diversity, Uh, although it is getting better. It is very slightly better um, and still probably has some work to do there. Uh, And also find out why shopping at Home Depot seems to bring out the latent toxicity that he's still trying to get rid of. Now, hopefully by the time this conversation is over, you love David as much as I do. Here he is, everybody. David Schultz.
1: My name is David Schultz. <laughs> I don't know that i describe myself as an artist. I know a lot of your guests are artists and whatnot. I don't know that I'd quite go there. I'm your typical nerdy, kind of geeky guy who is into computers and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm also very into outdoorsy stuff. I like to go wakeboarding. I have a wave runner. I like to go riding on the water and the lakes and oceans. It's all fun. I got into computers when I was really young, like 10, 11 years old, got a computer, started programming on it and went from there and made it a career. A lot of people talk about going into college and not knowing what they wanted to do, but I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to program computers and that's what I do for a living and it's a lot of fun most of the time. A lot of it is debugging, figuring out why it's not working the way you want it to work. So you come up with a hypothesis about what's wrong and then you go and prove or disprove your hypothesis and to figure out what's happening with software. So in that respect it's kind of like detective work.
0: I think that lends itself to a change in your job description. Instead of being a programmer or developer or software engineer you could be David Scholl's computer detective.
1: Yeah. Maybe like a software detective or something. Or
0: Yeah. Put bug, that on your... Bug detective. <laughs> something like yeah. that. Yeah. People <laughs> don't really use business cards anymore, I don't think. But that would be an awesome thing to have on a business card. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So to kind of set the stage here, I got married very young. I literally turned 21. got married to my high school sweetheart, who we'd been dating for like seven years because I met her when I was 15. She was 18 when I met her, although I thought she was in like eighth grade when I met her. She was actually older than me, so it was kind of funny. But we were married for many years. We had kids. And then I followed the, uh, the playbook that was laid out for me by my parents, which was get married, have kids, get a good job, get the house, the white picket fence, the whole nine yards. And then at some point I was like, okay, but why am I not happy? I thought I was supposed to be happy now. But every day was the same, and you just kind of like, Ooh, this is not working for me, and I didn't quite know what to do with it, and I became restless, and the relationship with my ex-wife was kind of sexless. To Blunt. I still love her, still good friends with her, but we grew apart basically. Her grew in different directions, I should say. Hmm. But I got to a certain point where I was like, okay, I want to expand as far as like sexually because she was the only person I'd ever had sex with, basically. So you don't know what you don't know. And right. so I went out there and I was trying to figure out my sexuality. And I'm not proud of this, but I, I cheated basically, well, well, I say basically to try to soften it. Right. You, yeah, you cheated. I, I cheated with someone, which I'm not proud of. And it was a rough period, but it is eventually came out. And my wife and I went to a therapist, a couples counselor. And I realized, well, maybe I could hold it down for five years, another 10 years, but eventually I would cheat again. And I felt like such a piece of crap when I was cheating on someone that I cared about that I, I knew I never wanted to do that again. And so I researched and I found this concept of polyamory, right? And I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like what I want out of life. And so I proposed that. And initially she was the hell, but then she started chatting with an old high school friend and was like, Oh, I get it. He's flirting with me. She kind of got it. Uh, Okay. And that was back in 2010 or so. So I've been polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous for a long time now and gone through several phases where I had serious girlfriends. And then the story of my current partner, Laura and I, we were dating, we got pregnant and we already had two kids from my marriage. And they're much older, but Laura and I decided, no, we're going to have this kid. And so we have a little guy who's going to be five years old. So I have kids who are in their 20s and I have a five-year-old. And my feelings on ethical non-monogamy and polyamory have grown and modified over the years. Like polyamory to me was always, and still is in my mind, this concept of like, oh, okay, I have a relationship with this person And it's separate from my relationship with, and I've seen that many times turn into people shift their focus to the Mm -hmm. new person and eventually the, the existing or older relationship dies or withers on the vine, if you will, over time. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to keep repeating that pattern in ethical phenomena. We've been experimenting with other ways, like playing together sexually and seeing how that works. And that's been tough for me. I'm more of a one-on-one kind of person, I think, but I've really been expanding in that area and I have come to enjoy aspects of it. But I mean, it brings up a lot of insecurities and a lot of anxiety. And so desire, when we went there, the, the first big thing that Laura and I did, we'd gone to other events, but nothing like that. And that really opened up my experiences and my horizons if you will sure it was good but it was also hard in some respects
0: yeah i mean growth is hard and i guess that sort of leads into the fact that you and i met at desire i think you are now Mm. the third or fourth person i've spoken to for this show that I, i met at desire so at the very least it turned into a good thing for this podcast it was also my first time there although i have a history with the people that run it. So it wasn't like me walking in completely blind. I was already kind of a known quantity, mm-hmm. but that's where you and I cross paths. And I was just kind of like, oh, here's this cool metal looking beardy dude. <laughs> it was like, yeah, he seems pretty yes. cool. And we started talking and we hit it off. And I consider you're not just somebody that I met at Desire now, eight months ago or nine months ago, whenever the hell it was, you're my friend. So a mm-hmm. relationship grew out of that meeting. We didn't get to talk about this too much down there because i think everybody was still in the middle of processing whatever emotions they were feeling but Mm. were you intimidated what was your anxiety based on going down there
1: well i mean with polyamory your partner who you're with will date other people but you're not there when they're doing sexual things and so you can compartmentalize you're just like yeah whatever okay i know you're having sex with that person fine i like them whatever no big deal But when you're in the same room, that's an entirely different dynamic. It took me time to adjust to that. And we had some local friends who we would play with and I'd become progressively more comfortable. But the thing is, for me, the anxiety is much less when I'm familiar with the people, I'm comfortable with the people. And desire was great because it was a longer event, so you could get to know people and g- and gain some comfort. Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't months of comfort; it's a few days of comfort. So there was still that level of, oh, I'm not so comfortable. I don't really know these people that well. So there was some of that going on. Sure. And also, I'm not so big on being naked. <laughs> could have fooled like- me, David. <laughs>
0: Actually, well, that's not true. Yeah, you had a either a swimsuit a little, or a... Yeah, a little
1: bathing suit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Now yeah. it's all kind of coming back to me. Yeah. Because we were on a clothing optional resort. And <laughs> I guess I put two and two together, but it didn't come back to me until now that you were not naked most of that time.
1: Not most of the time. I don't know if it's like a body image thing. I'm just afraid for other people to look at me or maybe self-conscious.
0: Which, don't take this the wrong way. You have a very nice looking body.
1: Well thank you. You're embarrassing me a little bit. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Hell, I like to think I'm decent looking, but so there was some of that. And I don't know if you remember, there were some people handing out little sunglasses that you could hang on your penis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so they were kind of
0: offering me that. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. Thank you very much. I didn't go for the sunglasses on the dick thing either. <laughs> I did make some strides there. So...
1: And feeling more comfortable about it. And obviously seeing all the different body types and everyone being comfortable just being naked. It was like, okay, yeah, this isn't as weird as, as you think. When everyone's doing something, it's not weird. Right. That's just the way it is. It's kind of funny.
0: I have body image issues for sure. And I'm not nude in front of people particularly often. So I took maybe a night and a couple of drinks before I was comfortable. <laughs> But yeah. I, I got there, and you do realize at a certain point all of the different body types. I mean, there are people there, trans people who had top surgery scars. There was at least mm-hmm. one person there who had, had a mastectomy and scars mm-hmm. from that. Really skinny people, really heavy set people, older people, younger people—the whole nine yards. And at yeah. a certain point, you're like, nobody really gives a shit about the way anybody looks. People aren't standing yeah. in the corner pointing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all in your head.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, they're more concerned with themselves than they are with you. Yeah,
0: it's also like everybody's thinking the same thing. Everybody's like, holy shit, who's looking at me? Everybody's so in their own head that nobody else is paying attention to anybody else.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to look around.
0: I try to get out of my head. (laughs) And there were a lot of beautiful people there. There absolutely were. So you got married at 21. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to when I was 21. And when I was younger in the 80s and 90s, it did feel like people got married earlier. My mom got married at 24. My grandmother got married at 16. most Most of my elders got married at an age when they probably should not have gotten married because they were too young and didn't know themselves enough. Exactly. Your situation, was it like... Okay, I'm 21. I'm out of college or whatever. I should probably start working on the getting married and having kids and buying a house thing.
1: No, I, no, and I was not out of college. <laughs> oh, clear. <laughs> it took me a long time to get through college, but. Yep. We'd been dating since I was a freshman in high school. And this was probably. 7 years later and it was like okay <clears throat> so either we get married or we break up kind of thing where do we go from here we were following what i call the the relationship escalator we just follow the next step in, in line so the next step was getting married and then a few years later when i was 24 we had our first kid and which was an interesting story itself because our first daughter was born premature she weighed a pound and 11 ounces so that was oh
0: wow <clears throat> yeah
1: <clears throat> really premature which was hard. And, and part of the story of why it took me so long to get through college, because like that, that year, I, I think I failed a lot of things, not to mention that the first year I went to college, I didn't do so well. Cause I was just partying with my friends and my folks were pissed because they were paying for it. And they're like, okay, we're not paying for that anymore. So I was working at a grocery store and I was working there part-time and going to school part-time and they gave me my five-year pin and I was like, holy shit, I've been here for five years. What the hell am I doing? And luckily I was able to get a job in my field not long after that. And my career kind of took off after that. But as far as getting married young, it was just kind of like what I was told you do. My folks got married young and I put a lot of faith in my parents and they always had always given me good advice. I don't really listen to their advice much anymore <laughs> because at this point, I know what I want more than what I did. I, I tended to be the kind of, person who goes along with whatever's happening and let this take me wherever I go and just see what happens. That had always worked for me. But I grew up Catholic and, and my folks are still pretty religious. I moved away from it years ago and now I'm pretty hardcore atheist, if you will. And not just atheist, I'm also what I would call an anti-theist, which basically- Okay. You Ex- mean, basically, explain the difference. An atheist is just so I don't believe that there's any gods. A- Anti is that I believe that religion is harmful to mankind for the primary reason, the one that everyone knows, which is that it teaches people to believe in things that have no basis in truth. And I think it makes people susceptible to conspiracy
0: theories, etc. I'm not saying anything new here. I literally just got off the subway an hour ago after listening to about ten minutes of this woman walking up and down the subway car sermonizing. And like right as it pulls up to my stop, she gets to the part about murderers, and then it goes from murderers to lesbians and homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, as I was walking up the subway, I was like, go fuck yourself. And <laughs> I am very much a live and let live person, but yeah. I, I do agree with you, and before you explained it to me, I did not know what the difference between an atheist and an anti-theist was. I also grew up Catholic, as those of you who listen to the podcast regularly know, and I also do believe that organized religion is harmful and this isn't about me it's about you but i think that one of the main things other than making people believe in something that has not been proven to exist is that it prevents critical thinking or experiential thinking
1: yeah Yeah. just this is the way it is and that's that believe it right Right. Uh, no questions so yeah yeah. and yeah, getting married young just seemed like the right thing to do at the time and it's not like i was unhappy i wasn't totally unhappy, it just felt like like I wasn't living to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted life to be more exciting, basically.
0: And some people would be in your situation and maybe think, hey, I- I'm not really living my life to the fullest, but this is the situation I signed up for. Mm-hmm. I don't know how <clears throat> to change the situation, or I'm afraid to change the situation. Oh, and I yeah. guess the way you changed the situation wasn't necessarily the best
1: way to do it? No, it it wasn't. And honestly, had I known about polyamory before, I might have suggested that instead of cheating. I might have been like, hey, what if we tried this? Because I really am feeling this. And and this was not an overnight thing. This was a progression over years of like, oh, I'm attracted to that person. I'm attracted to that person. And they're flirting with me and, and that kind of thing. It was like an identity crisis because I always thought of myself as an honest person and a a good person basically. And then here I was being dishonest and hurting someone that I loved. I was getting drunk every night and I did not like myself. So it was a tough transition. And also you talk about, oh, someone who feels like, oh, I signed up for this. I got to stick with it. Well, I definitely had that. And I supported my wife for many years beyond that point. We opened up and we started seeing other people and she started seeing someone and she's still with him for like 10 years now and we stopped being sexual like we hadn't been for a long long time and then laura got pregnant i was still married when laura got pregnant and we all tried to move in together well we did move in together we bought a big house moved all the kids in together and tried to all coexist in one space And it did not go well. And a part of it is that I was pushing everyone to do this because I was in kind of a nesting mode. I was like, oh, this kid's coming. We got to have a stable home for him or her. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't know. But I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. My wife did not really want to do this. My older kids did not really want to do this. They didn't want to leave where they had been living because we were moving to where Laura lived because her kids were in school still and my kids were older and were no longer in school. So it made sense from that perspective Perspective, but I was kind of driving everyone towards what I wanted and it didn't pan out, didn't work out well. So we got divorced, but it was amicable. My ex had moved out of the house and gone back to the same city that we had come from, and she was living there for probably a couple of years before we got divorced. And it was just like, we're not living together, we're not sure it doesn't make sense to be financially tied and all that. So we just cut the cord basically. So
0: it seems like the right thing to do, and I think it's important or admirable. That you still have an amicable relationship, I feel like for some people, the hurt feelings and yeah. the history yeah. would be a bit much. But I think it's yeah. a testament to your collective maturity that you are able to keep a relationship going.
1: Yeah, she's a wonderful person. I married her for a reason. She's still a dear friend. So it's just we went in different directions.
0: So directions, and that happens. Yeah. People. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons why, as I get older, the idea of getting married at a super young age doesn't make sense to me because from 21 to now, I would imagine you've done a lot of growing. You're not the same person you were back then. No,
1: no, not at all.
0: And your wife, I would assume in that time, has also done a lot of growing. And just because you're a couple doesn't mean you grow the same way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's great if you can, but it doesn't always work out that way, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. it just It's like having that rare relationship that starts in high school and is able to continue. It's just as people change and as people get older and as people hopefully get smarter and learn things about themselves, you're not the same person you were. This is
1: exactly I think true. it's important yeah. to
0: keep that in mind. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I didn't realize before you sent the notes over to me that you grew up in Maine.
1: Yeah, I was born in Maine, grew up in Maine until I was about 12 or 13 or so. And then we moved to San Antonio, Texas, which. Oh, wow. Yeah. Major culture shock coming from (laughs) Maine to Texas, especially when you're that young. Yeah. That was interesting. It was really great, to be honest. A lot of great memories from there. And I had great friends that I made. That's still occasionally talked to him on Facebook, not much, but still. Yeah. And then came back to Maine. So actually this is part of why my freshman year in college was so crappy is because my senior year of high school, we moved to Dover, Delaware from San Antonio because my dad was in the air force and he was trying to get Ah. back closer to Maine. And so my senior year was just pretty shitty because I didn't know anyone. You go in your senior year at a new school.
0: That's not a good look.
1: Anyone who's done that can tell you that sucks. My senior year was not the best year of my life for me. So then I went back to San Antonio for my first year of college. and, And I met up with some of my old friends, made new friends at college. And I just had a blast that first year. Didn't do so well in school. But to my credit, I was taking a lot of pretty heavy courses. I was taking calculus, physics, chemistry, a computer science course, and English all in the same semester. And the physics course required you to already know calculus. And honestly, it I took calculus so many times, I can't even remember, because I just kept failing it. People, like, when you tell them, oh, I'm a computer scientist, they're like, oh, you must be good at math. I'm like, not really. <laughs> I mean, I could do algebra, sure, but I could do binary arithmetic, great. But start getting into calculus, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah fuck that so, shit.
1: <laughs> I'm smart, but I'm not that smart.
0: <laughs> it's funny. I was a math nerd up until... I hit maybe my sophomore or junior year of high school, and you go from geometry to algebra to there's something in between algebra and trig, and I don't remember what it is. But we hit trigonometry, and I was like, I think I'm gonna cash out right now. Yeah. I, I'm gonna concentrate on English and history because yeah. <laughs> nothing about math and science makes any sense to me anymore.
1: Yeah, it starts getting dicey. But the funny thing is yeah. you, you learn the stuff that you're interested in because I've always been interested in video games, right? And I have programming backgrounds, so I've jumped into doing game programming. With, oh, with, nice. Yeah, and and it's, so it's like I do know enough math to do 3D programming because you learn those formulas and you learn what you need to learn to make that right. stuff work.
0: I got to go back to the culture shock thing for a minute. I lived in Massachusetts, but my job would send me to Portland, Maine Usually once a month, once every four to six weeks. Oh, wow! So I got to know Portland really well. I've been to Portland probably three dozen times in my life. Wow, maybe even more. Yeah, and Portland, Maine is beautiful in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Maine is also the only place that I've been in for a sustained period of time where the diversity level is zero.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I think New Hampshire and Maine battle it out for the whitest state in the nation. I think it's 97, 98%, something like that. And I would have you, thought that right.
0: it was Maine and Vermont.
1: Oh, maybe. I'm sure Vermont's in there too, in the running. Yeah. So, But yeah, I can tell you this is the truth. I do not think that I saw a black person in person, not on TV, until I was probably
0: eight or nine years old. Holy shit. You obviously can't remember what was going through your head at that time, but what were you, you, you know, thinking?
1: You, well, you, it's not like I was unaware that they existed. <laughs> but when I moved to San Antonio, I was scary. You know, I'm not a big dude. I'm a scrawny little white dude. We're right? about the same size. Yeah, okay. Sorry. We're not scrawny. Oh, no, I'm pretty <laughs> scrawny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, I go to San Antonio and I'm with these six-foot-something, 200-and-something-pound. Dudes, and it's intimidating. I did not like gym class; so it was not my thing.
0: Between being scrawny and being uh, body shy, I would imagine yes, that might have been a little rough for you.
1: Yeah, it was very rough. I did other things to try to get out of gym class, so it was definitely a culture shock, but in a good way. It kind of opens your world up. You're like, oh, look at all these different people, and I became friends with people, and and you're like, oh, these people are cool. And then I remember coming back to Maine after having been in San Antonio and sitting in a restaurant and looking around and it was like the twilight zone. Like why is it just
0: all white people in here? What's going on? It was very weird, but yeah, that's what Maine is. And I only really have visibility or experience in two and two or three cities in Maine, but, uh, And it's not just black people that aren't there. There is like no no minorities at all.
1: (laughs) Very very few. I mean, there's a lot more than there were when I was growing up. I can tell you that (laughs) because I grew up in was Lewiston, Maine, and a big big Somali population moved in in the 90s, which was rough. There was some tension there. Yeah, the mayor at the time was issued a statement saying, please stop coming to our city. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing, man? Well, the reason he said it is because they were overwhelmed. The social services were overwhelmed. They couldn't handle it. But of course it comes off as like racist. Racist. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's telling telling them not to come. Yeah, it was bad. It was kind of a shit show in the 90s in there. But now there's been a whole generation of kids who've grown up there and gone to high school there and stuff. And so they're the same as all the other kids there. Right. So it's just the way it works.
0: Yeah, it's such a foreign concept to me to grow up in that kind of environment not that i didn't grow up in a particularly diverse environment but i mean when you're a minority in a majority country Mm. it's a different experience because my neighborhood was all black or overwhelmingly black but i'd go to school and the teachers were white or Mostly people in positions of authority were the white people that you dealt with, but still, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a completely foreign concept for there to be people of other ethnicities. So just the idea that you grew up in a place and until you were a preteen, damn near, Mm -hmm. you didn't really have any experience with people of other cultures. Obviously, I know that you are an open-minded person, but I think that environment maybe past nine years or 10 years or 12 years. If you make that environment your whole life, that's how people become yeah. MAGA people. Yeah.
1: All of this stuff is based in fear. And people don't want to admit they're afraid, of it, but they're scared. They right. see someone who doesn't look like them. They've been told stories about them and they're scared and they don't know how to react to it what to do with that. And I get it, but it's like you have to get over that, you know, you have to get over that fear. And maybe if I hadn't left when I was younger, Maybe I wouldn't be as open. I don't know. I'm not sure. What I'm getting at is I know that within my greater family group, because I had a large family, I I know that some of them are racist. I don't get it, but they are. And I think it's just because, like you said, they've grown up here among the same race everywhere. And so anyone else is an outsider. And this is the thing about humans. They like to create the others, the outsiders, the ones Mm -hmm. that are not part of their in-group. And they do it everywhere. This is why I hate organized sports. I don't like sports. I don't follow sports. I think it's crap. All this stuff about the the Red Sox, the Yankees. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just another tribal group. It's bullshit but we do it everywhere and everybody wants to feel like they're slightly better than the other people it's human nature i think to do that so i think we have to fight against that and realize these people whoever you're making the other is not another maybe they don't look the same or maybe they don't talk the same but they have all the same fears and and hopes that you do and it's like you got to get over that shit
0: yeah but even if they're not like you just think of the things that I've learned from people who are not like me that have Mm -hmm. actually been helpful in figuring myself. I think a lovely thing about life is that everybody has their own unique experience. Like no two experiences are fully the same. And there's so much you can learn just from talking to other people and hearing their stories and hearing their experiences. To not have that, it just feels like you're missing out.
1: It's true. And Yeah. Over time, I have realized that because, I mean, you only have your internal life story to go by, your own experience. And so you tend to think that that's how it is for everyone. But then you talk to people and you realize that this person has such a drastically different experience than you that they don't even know what your world is like and you don't know what their world is like. So that's fascinating and scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I'm going to try to word this question the way that I actually want to word it. Everybody has a different definition of what polyamory slash ethical non-monogamy slash open relationships is. What does it mean
1: to you? Well, as I was saying about polyamory, you date people kind of separately. And even if you're doing kitchen table polyamory, we're all talking to each other. It's still kind of like, this is my relationship with that person. And it's not yours, basically. I had a, a girlfriend like that who was like, I'm dating this person. You're not, especially if she was dating another woman. It's like, there's going to be no threesome here. Don't get any ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which, okay, fine. That's a totally valid way to do it. But then there's other ways to do it too. And the whole swinging world is more couple centric and that's a valid approach too. So for me, it just means I've done a lot of growth as far as becoming independent as opposed to codependent. Right. So with my ex-wife, we were very codependent and I was following the masculine trait of your best friend is your wife and you don't really have any other friends, which is a horrible model and really harmful to men. To, to I agree. You have to have other friends and the relationship of men now is much more interdependent, if you will, which also empowers you because I don't need to be with anyone. If my partner left me right now, I would be okay. I wouldn't like it. I, I love her. I want to be together, and I want to, to go down the journey of life together. But if that happened, I wouldn't be devastated. And when you're codependent, you're devastated because it was your whole life. It was your whole world. And this is something, actually, I want to talk about at, at camp that is this concept of men not having friends basically and it's important to have them which is why i'm so grateful that you keep reaching out to me even though i'm a shitty friend and i don't reach out much oh uh, i'm sorry i've made a point the last several years when i think about someone to try to reach out to them and say something because i used to never do that i came from this mentality of people don't want to hear from me they don't want to be bothered by me that kind of thing which is crap right because life is all about connections
0: it really (laughs) is i'm glad that you said that as i'm thinking now i do have a lot of friends, male friends, who struggle with communication. And yeah. one thing I think I've been super blessed with the last couple of years, it can be a blessing and a curse, is that I am over-communicative. If I get up in the morning and I'm thinking of you, I'm going to text you and say, hey, what's up? I'm thinking of you. That's um, great. Just because yeah. A, life is short. And I have had enough situations in my life, particularly in the past 10 years, where somebody's dead and you mm. can't text them anymore. You can't call them anymore. You can't email them anymore. And a lot of them have been sudden. So you get to a point where it's like, I, I shouldn't take this shit for granted. But also I, I'm big on community. I'm big on connection. Friendship. Friendship is something that's super important to me. And to me, the relationships that I have with my platonic friends are just as valuable as the relationships that I have with my not platonic friends mm. or my friends that, Go back and forth between being platonic and not platonic. So, right. I want to make sure I'm thinking that people know that I'm thinking of them when I'm thinking of them.
1: Yeah, it's important. Yeah. It's hard to do, though. I get into funks sometimes where I get very self focused, I guess, and I'm doing my thing and just trying to survive. Kinda, and I don't really reach out to people. And, and it's not good. So, I try to fight it. But...
0: At least you recognize it. I know that sometimes it takes a lot of work to break old habits.
1: Yeah, it does. And this topic of how the patriarchy basically has affected men and women, but obviously because I'm a man, I think of how it affects me and how it's stunted my emotional depth, if you will, and my perception of who I should be it's only over the last couple of years, I would say, that I've really started to see how much I'm affected by that. Like they talk about, I think the term is code switching, where I went into a hardware store and I suddenly turned into Mr. Masculine Bro. Just because you feel like that's what you have to be. It's like, oh, can I help you? And I stepped out of there and I got in my car and I'm like, what the hell was I doing? And honestly, I think it's like a safety mechanism, especially when you're in situations you don't know, like you go to a concert or you're going to be this uber masculine dude so that people don't mess with you.
0: Depending on what concert you're going to.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've recognized that more in myself that I do that. And it's so funny because I don't tend to think of myself as a super masculine dude. I don't internally feel that way. But then we were having a dinner party one time and one of the other guests... Like said to me is, you're like the most masculine dude I've ever met. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I guess just the way that I was acting or behaving or holding myself, I don't know. And internally, I don't feel that way. I feel very, very vulnerable. And it's funny how you appear to other people, how you come off to other people, how they perceive you. Because it's not at all my internal monologue.
0: I can see how someone would look at you and be you're a dude with a long-ass beard. Yeah, uh, and I'm definitely and, and, masculine. But also, I, I don't find it illogical that someone would look at you and be like, okay, this dude might be a little scary. I'm going to keep my distance.
1: Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about. Other people's perceptions of you. In my mind, I'm this timid little kid. I'm not threatening at all. But then I wonder why people aren't approaching me or talking to me. And it's a lot about body language. If I'm sitting in the corner with my arms crossed, I got my big goatee and I'm bald and I got a scowl on my face, people aren't gonna talk to me. They're gonna be like, I'm just gonna steer clear of that dude. Which again can be helpful in certain situations, but also really hurts me because it prevents me from making connections with people. And so I have to go out of my way to be open and kind and smiling and try to connect with people so they know that that's not who I am. So
0: what are you doing to try to combat the things that you have learned that You're working on changing. Like, What's assisting you through that journey of becoming a better or more sensitive, more thoughtful, more that kind of person that you want to be? I think the key is to be vulnerable. And this is
1: something that, I mean, we haven't talked about it, but PolyCamp that I host with my partner, we started that. And at camp one time, we were in some kind of discussion group, and this one guy got up and he started talking and he was very emotional and he started crying. And it was such an epiphany moment where I was like, oh shit, we can cry. I'm allowed to do that because he did it. He showed this vulnerability and he made it okay. In my mind, the key is to show that to other men. It's okay. We can be vulnerable. It doesn't make us less of a man. We can just open up to each other. So that I think is is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be more vulnerable in certain situations. <laughs> I struggle with it because I am programmed to not show emotion. I'm programmed to be stoic, the rock, the one that doesn't get emotional. And I think I've done pretty well at following the uh, the patriarchal rules of masculinity. But I think I need to unravel some of that because it's not helpful to me for connecting with other
0: people. And as you've gotten older, does connection mean more to you now than it did before?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I was younger, i I didn't value it as much, made friends more easily, more quickly. And so I let certain friendships die away that now I I yearn for. I'm like, God, I I missed that. Why did I let that go? And so being older now, I I think about that and I'm like, I'm not going to let a good friendship go. I'm going to work more at it and let that person know that I care. So yeah, definitely age has made me realize some things. And I do have some regrets around that stuff. So.
0: I, I would assume most people do. I certainly do. So, we have not talked about Polycamp.
1: No, we and haven't.
0: we probably should because that's your baby.
1: It was our first baby, and then we had an actual baby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Laura and I started Polycamp. We used to go to another Poly event, and it kept selling out, and it was because the venue was smaller and so they could only take so many people and Laura always had fun at summer camp when she was a kid and she's like why don't we try to do an adult summer camp wouldn't that be fun so we found a place and uh, and it's a kid's summer camp that we rent out for a long weekend and uh, we talk about polyamory but we also do camping stuff there's a waterfront and we'll do like craft stuff archery whatever so it's lots of fun arch Irons. archery
0: are, are there going to be actual arrows at this event David, yeah, archery arrows, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I've ever been within like a hundred feet of a bow and arrow before. Really? Are you, hey, are dude, you messing with me? Or... Okay. No, <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn. I, I never even went to camp as a kid. And lie. this is a, a fun fact: the first time I ever went camping, I was thirty-seven. <laughs> Wow. Okay. First time I ever slept outdoors. Wow. City kid. I am a city kid. I didn't get my driver's license until I was 31. Oh my gosh, dude. Wow.
1: (laughs) That is baffling to me. I got my license when I was like 15 as soon as I could. But yeah. Stuff like campfire sing-alongs, all that kind of stuff. And it's a high consent environment. So we talk about consent because sexy time happens, whatever. But That's not the focus of the event. The event is community-focused, but you get people together and and they're going to find someone they like. It's been really, really amazing. Met so many friends through it. We have a talent show, sock wrestling. (laughs) Wait, what
0: the hell is sock wrestling?
1: (laughs) Everyone always says that when I say sock wrestling.
0: Okay, Okay, good. See, I almost (laughs) felt like, okay, this is one of those Mike grew up in the city things again that he doesn't know about.
1: (laughs) No, I think this was some sorority or frat place that started i don't know but anyway sock wrestling is is each person wears a single sock and the objective is just to get the sock off the other person the sock off that is hilarious that's it oh yeah we're gonna wrestle that's happening
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait me and you we're wrestling i feel like that's an even even match yeah yeah i think so you might have a little bit of height on me (laughs) i
1: don't know i'm not very tall so so i run the sock wrestling event and every year, and I get people hyped up, like, I, I'll, I'll get down just my just my underwear and a single sock, uh-huh. and I'm like, all right, let's go. And it's so much fun to watch, too. People love watching and cheering everyone on and seeing who's going to get the sock.
0: Now, what, did you wrestle in high school or something? Is there a secret that I need no, to know about? No, no secrets. <laughs> no, I did <laughs> not wrestle in high school. I told you about high school. And you don't like sports.
1: Well, I don't like the fandom around sports. Gotcha. I, I don't mind playing sports. I used to love to play football in the yard with my friends. I do not like baseball. I think it's super boring.
0: <laughs> unless you're there. at a game. Unless you're at a game. It was really weird for me because I grew up loving baseball. I watched baseball. I would listen to games on the radio, pre-internet, obviously. And then I hit a stage when I was living in Boston. So this is maybe like eight or nine years ago. And I was like, these games are three hours long. (laughs) Why am I sitting in my apartment watching this slow ass game and wasting entire evenings? Mm -hmm. There are a million other things I could be doing during this time. And I have not watched a baseball game since.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. The thing with baseball is a perfect game is one where nothing happens. Right. Well, that doesn't make it a very exciting spectator
0: sport. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Stuff needs to happen. Yeah. Mm. So what has been the hardest thing for you to come to terms with in terms of your own masculinity and wanting to grow and wanting to open up? What has been the most difficult thing for you to either figure out in your head or something you're still working on trying to figure out in your head to kind of get to the other side? What's been the biggest (sighs) thought process that you're trying to get rid of?
1: Well, I think I would go back to the programming. So meaning that we grow up in a patriarchal society, and so we're programmed in that world and with pretty rigid gender roles and things like that. Um, And so I think the hardest part for me is unwinding that. Like I've been programmed that way my entire life and trying to break free of that and seeing how it affects me, how it affects my personal relationships, how me pulling the male thing in a relationship can make things worse and this idea of always being in control being the one who calls the shots all that kind of stuff yeah being right i mean and it's funny because like my marriage we were very traditional gender roles and my ex-wife is very very much takes on those roles she was the woman and that was it and it's been eye-opening with other relationships that i've had Because my current relationship, it's very different. It's more egalitarian, I think is the word.
0: Yeah, that works.
1: So it shakes up your personal view, your personal identity, your sense of self. And so when you start shaking up your sense of self, it's tough, but it's also liberating. So I don't know if that answered the question.
0: I mean, it kind of. It's like a general thing. It sounds like you're just still trying to unpack patriarchy as Mm -hmm. a whole, as opposed to specific things about yourself that you are struggling to do differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I like who I am. I, I try to be very caring and open and that kind of stuff. And I'm always like trying to make sure I'm not going too far in the other, other direction. I don't take care of myself. I struggle with this, especially when I was younger, because Catholicism is basically, you know, give of yourself. And so I hit a certain point in life where I got this kind of selfish gene where I was like, no, I I want this for me. I don't want to just keep sacrificing myself for other people. And it's funny because I see my parents and other people, other older adults that I know who have grown up Catholic, and they're so unhappy. Because all they've done all their life is, is give to other people, sacrifice themselves for other people, thinking that that's the key to happiness. And I tell you right now, it is not the key to it happiness. <laughs> no, no. You've got to do stuff for yourself, and but be kind and at the same time, don't hurt other people to further yourself. But at the same time, it's like when you're in an airplane and they're like, you put the mask on yourself first before you help your children kind of thing. It's the right. same thing with life. You've got to take care of yourself first before you can help your children or anyone else. If they see you facing yourself, they're going to do the same thing, and they're going to be miserable too. They need to see you going out and having fun and taking care of yourself, and then they're going to do that for themselves.
0: It falls into this very false sense of nobility that feels like is common in America and Catholicism and Christianity in general. The noble thing to do is to completely ignore yourself while focusing on other people. And it's not like those things have to be mutually exclusive. You can take care of other people and take care of yourself. Exactly. But at at the end of the day, like when you kick the bucket, no one's probably going to go with you. So you do need to prioritize yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Right on. And one other question I wanted to ask is this is kind of stupid because we've just spent an hour talking about this. How open are you in your daily life about your relationship status. You I would like your kids a, are aware. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the kids, <laughs> all,
1: all the family, extended family. I don't hide anything because to me, that's part of being honest, right? And to me, ethical non-monogamy is all about honesty. And it's jarring to see how people react to that. I'll give you a really big, harsh example here. When I came out to my folks and I'm like, yeah, this is my life. This is how I want to live it. And I think my mother literally said, why can't you just cheat like everyone else? Oh, God. Yeah. It's like, why can't you keep it on the down low? Why can't you keep it on the down low? Because it's not healthy. No, exactly. <laughs> right. And this is the point I was trying to make. And it, and it blew my mind because my mother was always the one telling me that honesty is important and you should be an honest person. And I took it very seriously. And so here I am, an honest person, open. I mean, I, I don't hide stuff. And it's amazing, too, because you also get good experiences. I get cousins who are like, hey, thank you for doing that. Because you opened up the door for, for you me model to be the more behavior. honest. I have a gay cousin and, and she's like, hey, Dave, th- thanks for taking the heat off me for a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome.
1: That's like, awesome.
0: Yeah,
1: I was like, okay. But it doesn't phase me really. I'm like, most of the people who have judged me in the family are, they're people I see once or twice a year. It's like, well, I'm not going to rearrange my whole life just to please people that I see once or twice a year. It doesn't make any
0: sense. Here's a thought that I have, and you can tell me whether you agree with this or not. I think people who are most violently opposed to things like ethical non-monogamy or bisexuality or anything like that are the people who are angry at you for being open in a way that they can't be. Yeah, or that they're just
1: choosing not to be.
0: Right. It's almost like the anger comes from jealousy. It's jealousy or envy, really.
1: They're not at that point and they think that they should be ashamed of this or that because that's what they've been taught their entire lives. Is you should be ashamed of that. And they're seeing me do it and they're mad at me because I'm not hiding it. It's like you're not following the rules. And it's like, Well, yeah, I don't think we should be following those rules.
0: <laughs> so, not good rules.
1: Yeah. So that's how I feel about that.
0: I appreciate you being a disruptor. <laughs> it's an inspiring thing to like live your life unapologetically.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because you're not the only one who, who said that to me before. And it's really strange to me because I don't really think about it that much. I stop worrying you're about ju- when When you stop worrying about some dude in the sky judging you, then a lot of that... Shit goes away.
0: So, first of all, thank you, David, for taking the time out of your schedule, particularly as you were planning Polycamp in the thick of it to record this episode. I know you were busy. And uh unlike me, <laughs> David has no social media footprint to speak of, so there's nothing to plug, nothing to promote, uh, nowhere you can follow him. But Polycamp Northeast does have a website. You can go to PolycampNe.com, find out a little bit more about the event. And uh, maybe think about going in 2023. So between the time that I recorded this interview with David and the time that you were hearing this episode with David, uh, PolyCamp Northeast 2022 happened. I was there. I had a blast. Um, I took part in several really interesting discussions. I had a lot of fun. I did see what sock wrestling was all about. I did not participate this year because I'm still recovering. I've got a little bit of long COVID happening, but next year... If the spirit's willing, I'm gonna hit the gym, gonna work on my upper body strength a little bit, uh maybe watch some YouTube videos, figure out some wrestling moves, and I will become the sock wrestling champion. So I'm recording that, putting it in public record, and I will probably regret that an hour after this episode goes live, but Go to polycampany.com. I had a fucking blast. I met some fantastic people. Uh, David and Laura, thank you for putting together this event. Uh, You are fantastic curators of folks and uh, fantastic people all together. Look forward to seeing you both soon. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill, or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, Uh, follow me on social media, like I said, Uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicity pod you get access to exclusive episodes you get episodes a little earlier than the general public you get a cool ass sticker lots of stuff once again patreon.com slash detoxicity pod quick shout out to calvin williams for providing the music and uh doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace